I think New Zealand needs to present itself as this extraordinary hotbed of innovation and design thinking and solution-focused thinking. I've always been of a view that people follow brands with purpose. Employees want to join brands with purpose. And the thing you need to do, most importantly, at the outset of developing a business, and if you've got an established one, get onto it now, it's never too soon, is being absolutely clear about what your mission is. Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week, I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Richard Shirtcliffe is a New Zealand entrepreneur who's led some of New Zealand's most loved brands to international success. Tuatara, the craft beer sensation from Paraparaumu and Coffee Supreme, which now has outlets across Australia and in Japan, are just two. But it's his latest project that has him diving deep into sustainability. Noho, spelled N-O-H-O, is the Māori word for sit or dwell, and is the name for a new furniture company making dining chairs out of recycled fishing nets and carpets. The chairs are just the first in a line of products that Richard says are rethinking what well-being means for home and for the planet. Now based in the chilly burbs of Boulder, Colorado, Richard is leading the charge to take Noho to the world. Richard, thanks for joining us on This Climate Business. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Vincent. Thank you for inviting me. I'm not sure that I'm worthy. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll put you through the test. <laughs> uh, so your story really, for Noho, really begins with this holiday in Bali, which you told me about. Tell, tell us about that experience. Uh, well, yes, that, that's where the, the, the Noho story for me starts. The, the, the story for the business starts a few years before that. But since you asked me about my personal part, my personal epiphany, I'll start there. Um, yeah, look, early 2018, Teen, uh, I was. Um, I just finished up in my role at Coffee Supreme, and and uh, with all of the travel that went on there, I was a little bit burnt out. So my wife Sarah and I decided we would take our children um, off on a little, a little what we call a sabbatical. It's just a holiday, really. But we went off to um, to live in Indonesia for a few months. Sounds much and, fancier uh, when you say it as a sabbatical, isn't it? Do- doesn't it? Doesn't it? It sounds more earned somehow. Um, uh, and we were we 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 keen kite surfers, so we determined we were going to teach the kids uh, to surf. And uh, day two, we were teaching the kids to surf, had instructors and all that kind of stuff. But we couldn't believe the volume of plastic that was washing around the kids as they surfed. And it was this it was this real juxtaposition, this incredibly magical family moment, uh, and this diabolical uh, environmental realization. So we spent the rest of the time while we were there, uh, Sarah and I, debating how you'd go about addressing this thing. You know, and clearly, the plastics issue is a subset of the overall climate change issue, which is the greatest existential crisis we've ever faced. Uh, and uh, but it's a very winnable battle we felt, um, and it was going to take a complex matrix of approaches to to deal with it, from stopping plastic going into the ocean, which takes regulation and uh, and what have you, um, to uh, finding ways to incent the removal of it from the environment, from the ocean, uh, which in our view required, um, uh, you know, finding value in, in the trash. 
Um, and uh, so when I got back to New Zealand, I got talking to an old friend and, and sparring partner, Richard Cutfield, who's a very well-known uh, New Zealand director. He's a director at, uh, at Formway. Sat down with, with Rich, and uh, he was telling me about this project that uh, the Formway studio had been working on for a number of years, where they, they had this insight about four years prior which was roughly that they had spent decades pioneering extraordinary dynamic ergonomics in performance office furniture. Um, and they, they, they couldn't work out why it is that um, typically that's where we experience furniture that's good for our physiology. And in the home, we don't. So they were, they'd embarked on this project to say, how do we bring that performance into the family home? And where in the family home would we bring that performance to? And they concluded that the way we live our modern lives has very changed these days, that the, the hub of the home, the dining table, which used to be just where we eat, is now where we do everything. And increasingly, I mean, we've seen that over the last few months, it's where we really do everything as a whānau. You know, we, we eat, we socialise, we, we discuss, we laugh, we, kids do craft, um, and, and, we, and we work from home. And so all of those activities demand different postures and different postures demands furniture that's not just support, supports those postures but actually encourages movement which is good for our physiology and your um, point was there was much more investment in ergonomics of office furniture than there was in home furniture all of the investment really in ergonomics was uh, was in the office and not in the home that was the key insight i think mm. um so i was really wowed by that and uh, through a, a progression of of, of meetings we, we decided that uh, this was more than just a product that needed to be taken to market um, with a go-to-market strategy. This was a whole seam of thinking um, which deserved a brand wrapped around it. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of that in New Zealand. You know, we really there is a lot of great design thinking in New Zealand, um, and it's a it's a superpower for us in the world. Wrapping great design thinking, leading to great solutions, and wrapping great storytelling around it, and that's a power we're taking it to the world. We'll so, come back to, to some of that, but t- tell us about this link now between. You had this epiphany about plastics in the ocean and you're talking to a furniture guy. I, I don't get, get the connection. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty slow bowler, as, as you know, Vincent. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I didn't have an immediate... I had that epiphany of something that needed to be addressed and it's something that I wanted to address and wanted to uh, uh, use, use my time and my career to address. Um, but, um, you know, really all I know is, is storytelling and, and building commercial entities, brands. And, and so it seemed to me that was the vessel I needed to use to address the issue. But what I didn't have was an idea mm. uh, in which to invest all of that, that, that time, that energy. Whereas Formway did, um, and uh, I could see the potential in uh, working together with those guys to develop a lifestyle brand very much of Aotearoa, taking great design that was determinedly sustainable uh, and determinedly about um, helping people's well-being. So well-being for the planet, well-being for people. So that's that's how you sort of get from ocean plastic and waste to furniture. It's not an obvious route, but nothing in my life has been especially <laughs> linear. There's a, there is a direct connection, though, in the plastic that's used in the chairs, right, uh, which I Absolutely. understand has it, it is extracted from used fishing nets and old carpets. And um, t- tell us about that plastic. Well, it's it's got a name, I think. Econ- it has. Econol? 
Econil, yeah, which is a, a branded version of um, depolymerized and then repolymerized nylon six by a company called Aquafil in Italy. Um, and they've pioneered taking end of life carpet, which is otherwise destined for landfill, and um, upcycled, um, sorry, reclaimed fishing nets from the ocean and depolymerizing this through a proprietary process into its raw material, which is, as I said, nylon six. And what's great about that is it's it's doing several things at once. It's using that material uh, is means we're part of stopping that plastic going into landfill. We're part of removing that plastic from the ocean, um, and we're part of creating something that can be treasured for a lifetime and is mm. and is circular in its recyclability. Um, but also, it's quality assured. There's a lot of plastic washing around the world, both in the ocean and and in and in uh, in factories. And it's very hard often to, to be sure of its trace, to be sure that it's actually, when they say it's recycled, that it's upcycled, that it's reclaimed, that it truly is. Whereas with these guys, we were certain of that. Um, and so that's why we selected them um, as, our, as our raw material supplier. That's amazing. So there is actually a chain of custody system for recycled products to be sure that you're actually recycling, you know, in this case, fishing nets. Yeah, well, through them there is, yes. And yeah. that, that's part of their pioneering thinking. Um, and, and you know, we've, look, we've uh, I personally witnessed us in businesses over the years falling prey to uh, offshore factories telling us that the material is one thing and turning out, and it turns out sometime later that that, that was not the case. So, mm. you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of trust globally in who New Zealand is and what New Zealanders represent. So I think that if you can... Um, honor that by ensuring that the material you use is quality assured down to its down to its source um in the but make in new zealand then you are really truly make uh, you have the best of both worlds yeah that's great so you have this kind of core idea that you're reframing the experience of furniture at home you've got this incredible material this um nylon six that you want to work with what happens next how does that then get turned into the move chair every time i see move it's got tm on it. it's one of those annoying sort of trademark things yeah. anyway it's called Normal the move, move. chair <laughs> tell us about the journey then to create that chair uh well that that's uh, that's a question that, that is better better addressed to the the lead designers on on the product which well unfortunately we've got you rich you, so, you, you, um, you're, you're stuck with me and i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry for that and for your listeners but so ken parker and paul wilkinson are the co-ceos of formway studio and formway design and uh and also the lead designers on this product and um uh having isolate or identified excuse me that we could actually use this material called eco um they uh they're development process which have been going for several years as i said swapped from using the material that they were using and swapped into econil and then went through a huge process of developing um, developing the product up but that process was not simple they did an extraordinary job in having to develop an entirely new tool uh, which we had to get made in 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 china it was 17 ton of tool which is the maximum europe permitted to put in a container to ship it to new zealand <laughs> and then they installed it in a factory in the, in the hut just out of wellington um and you got to you got to say that's from my hometown from upper yeah. hut right that, yeah. is that where the factory is the, the fruits fall in a wee way from the from the, the tree yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah it is it is in fact yeah it's in the mighty hut 
Um, right. which is fantastic really for us because the, the mm. design studio is, is in Seaview, so it's close by, which means you can keep an eye on what's going on. And so look, the, the designers and the design and the engineering teams have done an extraordinary job in taking this this you know fledgling idea uh, and testing it to within an inch of its life and finding this great material which is recycled and making it making this extraordinarily beautiful product which mm. has all this amazing functionality under the hood. Can you, can you do your best to explain it to our audio listeners? Uh, there will be pictures on the website, obviously, but tell us about this chair. Like, a, you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like to sit on? Yeah, physical demonstration isn't going to help at this point, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, look, the, the best way to describe it is uh, imagine all of the functionality of an office chair, the rock, the flex, the side-to-side -side flex, the rear flex, the forward flex, um, and uh, imagine all of that without the, 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 the knobs and switches that you frequently find on an office chair, all baked into a chair that looks uh, beautiful and is reminiscent of, of mid-century um, furniture, mm. so mid-century modern along with some extraordinary tech in the seat cradle. Um, so the seat cradle is uh, made from a, a patented design, which is an auxetic pattern. For those who have never come across that phrase, and I hadn't um, before meeting these guys, uh, it's, it's a pattern that, uh, that defies, defies the laws of physics, in my view. It flexes in all, in all dimensions at once when someone sits in it, which means, in effect, that this chair, uh, whilst being beautiful and rocking, and flexing is also compliant to any physique that sits upon it. That's amazing. So Have you tried to break it? Have I? Yeah. Presumably what, what, in the in the factory what, you, you have machines and, and large people that try to break things. <laughs> large weights, yes. Uh, indeed, I haven't tried to break it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, lockdown lockdown has certainly added a few kilos to me, but I, but I wouldn't even get close to uh, breaking this, buddy. Yeah, look, we've actually been certified to BIFMA standard, which is a, a commercial seating standard and requires an extraordinary <laughs> extraordinary weight to be dropped from a, from a ridiculous height onto the chair uh, uh, an extraordinary number of times. <laughs> uh, and this chair has passed that. So look, we say, we say uh, conservatively that it's rated up to 150 kilos. Amazing. Um, and it's probably a lot beyond that, but you know, we want to be sensible. We're in America after all. We may well have to get some more blacks trying it out. So, <laughs> um, so that's the chair. And, um, the philosophy is the sort of circular economy idea of, you know, taking what's not wanted, turning it into something that is wanted. And presumably you can return it back to the waste stream or well, it's not the waste stream, the industrial stream or the technosphere, as it's sometimes called. Is that, is that right? Is it fully recyclable like that? that that's the intent. Yes. Yeah. So, um, from, you know, from, from go to woe, uh, the, the product is made from recycled materials. Uh, it's packaged in, in recycled and recyclable materials. There's no plastic in there. Um, and it's designed in such a way that if and when it ends its usable life, hopefully never, but when it does, if it does, that it can be brought back into the production, uh, production process, melted down um, and reused. Now, there are some complications with, with that, uh, and both the uh, the designers and eco or the suppliers of the material are working on that. And that principal complication is that a very small percentage of glass fibre was used in the, uh, to, to add structural integrity to uh, the crown and, and the legs. And that makes recycling a little more complicated because you've got to, you've got to extract that from the, from the, the, the eco -nil. 
Uh, nonetheless, we're, we're confident we'll crack that before it comes time to recycle any of these chairs. They've got a five-year warranty to start with, so we're not anticipating right. having any of them back. For, they arrive um, beautifully. Um, uh, you sent one to me to try out for this um, podcast, and it arrived, uh, I should explain, in a completely cardboard packaging, right? So the packaging mm-hmm. itself is is entirely recyclable. And then you've obviously put a lot of thought into the unboxing experience. It's got a sort of Apple-like experience of unboxing the and then assembling the so even that had some design thinking into it high praise indeed but yes indeed yeah and again i can't claim any credit for that it's the designers um i mean you know i was involved in that process from a commercial perspective but they've done all that critical thinking they're very clever uh and as you say it's a it's a, a the unboxing experience uh was driven by a couple of a couple of different things one the need for recycled recycled and recyclable materials to the need to uh, reduce space as much as we possibly could in order that um, you're not using you know, energy and space when you're, when you're shipping these things. Uh, and so it's a, we, we colloquially call it an L box because it is shaped like an L. And re- really all you've got to do when you unfold the box, as you discovered, is, is, is click the four legs on and you're, you're away laughing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, tremendous amount of thought went into that and testing and user testing and what have you. Um, as everything... As with everything that uh, that Formway does, it, it's a del- it is delightful actually, and um, uh, you know in- encourage people to give it a go. Um, what about the United States? Why are you there? What's what's going on with that? Do you know, I just got asked that question a little earlier today. Um, the the simple answer is uh, that when you think about setting up a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, and I think more New Zealand businesses need to think about that because it's a it's a very effective way of getting New Zealand products into a market without massive margin erosion along the way. Do you mean uh, compared to, say, a, a, a license model where you have a distributor-based? Correct, yeah, right. which I've okay. you know, experienced many times over the years. At least with direct-to-consumer, you control everything. You control the messaging, the delivery, the customer experience, which is so crucial, uh, and it means that you can deliver um, fantastically functional product into the hands of consumers at an accessible price point. But why the US? Well, really, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're really gonna give it a whirl in e-commerce, then the two biggest markets in the world are the US and China. And sadly, embarrassingly, I don't speak Mandarin, so really, it was a, a choice of one. That was the states. Um, the choice to base ourselves here, the front end of the business anyway was really about the face-to-face advantage that we think we get as New Zealanders when we're in a market like the States telling powerful stories, authentic stories directly to to Americans. And uh, and again, I referenced the point I made earlier in, in, in this conversation. There, there is a lot of power in that. You know, we've got a very authentic, very uh, powerful story, both emotionally and rationally. And uh, we think that telling that face-to-face up here is, is really powerful. Now, sadly... Uh, coronavirus has had a bit to say about my ability to tell that story face to face, but you know, the the wonders of Zoom have, have come <laughs> to the rescue. I mean, there's kind of an irony in that that you you could have done Zoom from New Zealand, presumably yeah. you didn't anticipate COVID. The plans were were made. When did you go there? And you've taken your family there, and and tell us what it's like uh, being there, particularly at the moment with also uh, all these protests and riots. Um, uh, and the disturbances around the uh, Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, look, it's uh, well. There's so much to that question. We 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 uh, we came up here in August last year, so we've been here not quite a year. Um, 
but we didn't launch the business until April. So there's been a, a bit of work up here just getting to this point. Sadly, we launched in the middle of uh, the pandemic, which, you know, I think I said to you earlier, you know, of course, when, you, when you're looking to set up a business, then, you know, you, what you really want to shoot for is pestilence and vermin and pandemic <laughs> and, you know, riots and thunder and lightning. Um, no, it's, it's certainly had its challenges. Um, look, I think, I think the tragic thing right now is that what we're seeing r- right now uh, in America is you know, it's America on fire. It, it's sort of this reverse bonfire of the vanities. Um, but it hasn't, it's not something that's just started with, with George Floyd. You know, this is something that has been bubbling up for hundreds of years over here. Um, and I, I think truly what you're seeing is a is a, um, an extraordinary failure of leadership uh, in the White House um, where an individual thinks about himself and thinks that the best way to, to distract attention from his own um, political and governmental failings, leadership failings, is to fan the flames, is to open a Pandora's box of hatred, which has been there, as we know, for, you know, hundreds of years in, in, in America. Um, and it's given it breath. And there couldn't be anything more tragic about that other than the reality of what that is now delivering to America. Um, I, you know, what you have to hope is that um, that voice of, of peace and calm and reason uh, will win out, uh, that the electorate will speak on November the 3rd and that will deliver um, better leadership. But what, what we're looking at is something that's going to require a generation or two to, to truly address. You're experiencing protests in Boulder and, and, and what's, the, what's the experience for you on the ground there with uh, family and friends? Yeah, we're pretty lucky where we are. Boulder's a pretty small town. Uh, it's a progressive town. So, um, you know, people who want to protest here are really um, protesting to to the preaching to the choir. Um, so most of the protests in Colorado are really happening in, in Denver, where it's really, it truly is on fire. So we're a bit a bit sheltered, isolated from from all of that just at the moment. Um, but um, but we've taken the view that it's really important for our kids to to see what's going on and understand why and understand um, what this means for, for America and for them. So, you know, we've been watching a lot of news, which we typically don't do with the kids. Typically, they're a bit young. You don't necessarily want to show them how, yeah. how um, venal the world can be. But, you know, in this instance, I think it's a powerful learning. What is the experience or knowledge of Aotearoa New Zealand in the communities you you operate in, is there, is there any awareness of who we are? Are we on the map? It's it's been interesting. Uh, you know, I've been coming to the states uh, off and on for twenty odd years uh, with various businesses, um, not to live but to 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 do business. Uh, and I can remember uh, back in two thousand and six with Phil and Ted's pitching up at a, a shop and in Los Angeles and demonstrating a, 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 a pram. <laughs> and uh, are the, um, are the baby, bu- ba- baby buggy That's right. Makers, that's yeah. right. And, and the woman in the shop said, oh, my God, I love your accent. You know, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. I just, oh, you know, I studied architecture and I've always wanted to see the Sydney Opera House. And at the time, <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm just going to let that one slip because, you know, I, I want to make a sale here. Um and you cut forward to now, and actually, uh, you know, New Zealand is is really is really on the map 
coastally in America. So, you know, the east and the west coasts are very, very aware of New Zealand for a whole bunch of interesting reasons. Right now, it's because of our leadership. You know, Jacinda Ardern has done extraordinary things for brand New Zealand, not and extraordinary things for New Zealanders, but by virtue of her, her leadership. Uh, so that's very, very big news over here. I, I, mm-hmm. Every single day, another story breaks in the in the Washington Post or the New York Times or uh, you know, CNN about what's happening in New Zealand and why it's been great, and about Jacinda. So that's so yeah, we're we, we're we're on the on the map. We're on the map for other things like Flight of the Concords did great things for us up here as well, and Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And, um, so yeah, people are very aware in the markets in which we're typically selling, and that's really the, the coastal progressive thinking markets. In the middle of America, I think it's a different story. Um, you, you, you typically have to answer the question of where New Zealand is in the world a bit more often. Yeah. But, um, to what extent does that uh, Jacinda effect, Jacinda mania, does that provide an um, export opportunity? I don't know if that's really the, the way to frame that question, but why not? You know, does the sort of diplomatic halo create an, an export halo? That's an excellent question. Um, I think, echoing a point I made a little earlier, I think what it does is reinforce um, the trust factor for New Zealand. You know, New Zealand is you know very, New Zealand is a very low. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a country in which there's not a lot of corruption. Right, it's a low corruption environment. Mm. Um, and that's known. Um, and New Zealanders are typically open and, and smiley uh, and trustworthy. Uh, and that's been known. But I think what this does is rip that a little large and says New Zealand is just this trusted environment. It's a smart environment. Look at what this tiny little nation down the bottom of the world has managed to achieve in the face of this pandemic vis-a-vis many, many other better resourced countries. Mm. Uh, and I think all of that re- reinforces New Zealand's pedigree, uh, uh, sm- smart thinking um, and and trustworthiness. Does mm. that translate into export, uh, export earnings? I don't know. Time will tell. But I think what will is the fact that New Zealand is up and running again. The economy, less, less tourism, obviously, is is back up and operating, and the rest of the world is not necessarily, and it wants products that New Zealand can produce. And I think that can only serve us well. Uh, I'm seeing a line, I don't know if you see the same line, that joins the, the companies that you've run before, Phil and Ted's, Tuatara, Coffee Supreme, their, their boutique success stories, quite high-end, quite premium, not mass market, but boutique. Is there a connection do you think between those businesses yeah i was certainly attracted to them for the same reasons um i like i like cute and cuddly i like small i like developing things from from infancy into something something greater um i like the power to develop storytelling within those those businesses and you typically have that latitude in a smaller developing business which you don't necessarily have in a larger more established uh, more hierarchical business. So I guess that I'm attracted to those environments. I'm attracted to entrepreneurial environments. Um, and uh, and I think that there's a parallel there in some regards for New Zealand as a nation that, uh, you know, right now, more than ever, bef- ever possibly before, um, niche is, is key. Niche is king. Um, there's riches and niches, as the Americans say. 
It's riches and niches. That's right. Now, look, I mean, you, 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 what you're seeing is established companies struggling to get a handle on what sustainability means, what triple bottom line means, and smaller companies embracing that, being fleet of foot and nimble. Uh, and what you're seeing is customers flooding into those businesses that offer um, that, that value set. New Zealand can offer that value set. New Zealand businesses are typically smaller and can be fleet of foot and nimble and offer those, that value set. Um, I think New Zealand needs to present itself as this uh, as this extraordinary hotbed of innovation and design thinking uh, and solution focused thinking, um, and, and also um, purpose driven. Right? Like the, you know, the purpose comes through really clearly in the say, for instance, the the Nohal website. This overarching aim of rethinking the, the furniture we have. In, in our homes, not just you know doing being satisfied with make do, but um, giving people you know that does seem to be a higher purpose for the company that then leads to products. You, you, and you could imagine, uh, I'm putting words in your mouth now, but I could imagine developing a range of products that are for the home, but all serving that higher purpose. Hundred percent. That's what we're gunning for. You know, I think. Everything in the home is up for grabs. In and around the home is up for grabs with those twin pillars in mind, you know, improving the well-being of planet and people. Um, you know, I think I've always been of a view that um, people follow brands with purpose. Uh, employees want to join brands with purpose. Um, and the thing you need to do most importantly at the outset of developing a business, and if you've got an established one, get onto it now. It's never too soon, is being absolutely clear about what your mission is. Um, because, I mean, Simon Sinek said it incredibly well, you know, customers buy the why, not the what. Yes, they buy the what, but they buy it from you because of why you do what you do instead of that fellow down the road because they prefer what you, your your why to, to his. Um, so, yeah, I think purpose is incredibly important in defining um not just your marketing program, it's not spin, but actually defining what it is you offer the world. Uh, and every single product that a designer puts up to you for evaluation, uh, if you're the commercial head of an organization, you should put through that particular filter. Does it, does it represent our values? Uh, if it doesn't, it should go back to, back to CAD. Fantastic. Uh, Richard Shirkliff, we wish you all the best in the States, stay safe and all that. And uh, we really hope you're able to take that um, Kiwi design ethic and, um, you know, our business ethics uh, back to the world. So good luck with that. Yeah, thanks, Vincent. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I look forward to talking about this again at some point. Awesome. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.